Thank you very much, Mr. Shulman. Once again, the final from the Rogers Center. Jays win 8-3 and complete the sweep of the White Sox. Welcome to the Tim and Friends postgame show. Into the pregame show. That's right, kids. You'll hear from Jamie and Joe, and we're hoping to fit in, based on time, Blake Murphy, the new host of Jays Talk Plus. But Hazel May currently tracking down one of the particulars. Also, Kevin Mickey in the booth for Jesse Rubinoff. He's got all your feedback from the Jays' eight straight win, plus former Jay Russell Martin will join us in about a half an hour. So all that coming your way as we got you till 7.30 Eastern before handing it off to Ron McLean and the start of Game 2 of the Western Conference Final. Jays postgame, Oilers pregame. It is truly game day here on Tim and Friends. So pitter-patter, in case you missed the 3 p.m. Eastern first pitch between the Jays and the White Sox, Let's get you caught up to date. Pale Hose throwing Johnny Cueto take on Alec Manoa making his first start at home since he was yanked after eight innings and 83 pitches of one run ball, which of course Manoa wasn't all that happy about. He would be much happier today. Top of the first though didn't start all that well. Manoa in some trouble. Two on one out gets Jose Abreu swinging for the second out two batters later. Now, bases loaded, Yasmani Grandal, full count. Manoa freezes him to end the threat, leaving the bases jammed. So we go to the bottom of the third, Ramel Tapia leading off, and he will rip one down the line off Cueto. Tapia heading for second, ball gets away, so he gets up and takes off. Heads the third, dugout absolutely loving the hustle. He's a hustler, homie, ask about him. And because of that hustle, he would score to make it a 1-0 game. Go to the top of the fifth. Mono still cruising. Got some deep. Oh, son of a bichette. That's a play. He gets Josh Harrison at first base from deep in left field. Manoa, rather impressed. Bottom five now with Tapia on first. Two out. Santiago Espinal goes iron chic. This is Camel Clutch. Tapia, told you he's a hustler, homie. Waved home, scores both runs. Jays lead 2-0 at that point. Bottom of the sixth. After Vladimir Guerrero Jr. let off with a double, Teoscar Hernandez steps up. They're warming, kids. The bats are warming. A two-run bomb, and Toronto leads 4-0. Now top eight, two outs, man on first, Manoa with a chance to get out of the inning induces Matt Chapman but with the ship nobody's there both runners are safe Chapman taps his chest he could have gone the first so next batter in Manoa's 102nd pitch Luis Robert takes him to the gap for a pair of khakis and a pair of RBIs that makes it a 4-2 game Manoa's day is done after seven and two-thirds this time big smile and a tip of the cap as he leaves, so Adam Simber, high leverage situation to face Yoan Makata. He brings in Robert, it's a 4-3 game, another 1-1 game, well hold on. We go to the top, excuse me, bottom of the eighth, two on Kevin Biggio. He comes up with the double, Hernandez comes through, Jays restore the two-run lead. Then, Ronaldo Lopez plunks Matt Chapman, it goes off of the back, into the head, Plenty of concern for Chapman, though he was checked out and would stay in the game. Three batters later, again, Santiago Espinal comes up with two out. And here's the insurance, kids. He will cash another 
And it's a 7-3 ball game for the Jays. Two more RBIs for Espinal as he has himself a game and the Jays win their eight straight. 8-3 is the final. Here's Hazel May with Teoscar Hernandez. Teoscar Hernandez's two-run home run gives him six hits, five extra base hits against the Chicago White Sox. How different is Teoscar Hernandez at the plate in this series than you were, say, over a week ago? I mean, uh, I'm working on my discipline right now. Uh, I've been going more patient to the plate and try to get my pitch uh, so I can do damage, and uh, that was the key for this series. It worked. How about Alec Manoa? Seven plus innings, charged with three runs, another outstanding effort. What is he like to play behind, and what's he like as a teammate? I mean, Manoa is incredible, you know. Uh, the whole team had the confidence that every time he goes to the mound, uh, it's going to be a good game for us. And uh, if we score, we, it's a good chance that, that we can win the ball game. Is it unusual that he talks to you and jokes around with you guys in between innings? I'm always joking around with him, trying to, to stay uh, with him uh, and the game, trying to make him uh, go confident for the next inning and, and just go battle and fight and try to give as many innings as he can. I can't let you go without asking you about Santiago Espinal. Three hits, three RBIs. I know you guys are chatting away in the barrio every game. What have you thought about his development and the way he's turned into an everyday major league player? I mean, there's, there's no word to, to describe the way he is. He's incredible, and uh, the whole team expects him, every time he goes to the plate, he's going to get a hit. And uh, uh, he's just uh, having a good moment right now, and he's enjoying it, and we are too. We're enjoying your play. Two-time Silver Slugger Award winner, Teoscar Hernandez. Congratulations. Thank you. All right, we'll see you. The Blue Jays secure a second consecutive series win this time against the Chicago White Sox, guys. Eight straight, Hazelman. They don't even hide the Gatorade anymore. No. Vladdy walks up straight. Teoscar takes it, turns around, and answers the question about Alec Manoa. Now, it wouldn't be a real Blue Jays postgame without Jamie and Joe. They've been kind enough to stick around for us. So let's head right back to the Rogers Center. Gentlemen, scholars, thank you very much. And, Jamie, what a difference a week and a half can make in the game of baseball, eh? You're bang on. Um, <laughs> it was funny. We were in studio for the Cleveland and then New York and then Tampa Bay series a stretch in which the Blue Jays Tim lost five in a row and nobody was hitting and then they came back here and won a couple of series without hitting again and now they've won eight consecutive games and in seven of those victories they've scored at least six runs so uh, I was thrilled because Joe and I were on vacation for the four game sweep of the Angels so I got to throw the broom <laughs> after the ball game today. Uh, that's awesome. And, and Joe, obviously, I mean, it didn't end the way Alec Manoa wanted it. It didn't start the way Alec Manoa wanted it. But between that, he was unbelievable again, wasn't he? It was classic Alec Manoa, Tim, and you're right. And I thought that first inning was critical. I had a little bit of an issue with some of the calls, you know. He went to his changeup a couple of times in that first inning when he got in trouble, and I never like going to your third best pitch in critical situations, even if it's the first inning, because if you're Manoa, you can go eight. And he got out of it by making a great pitch, and then he was fantastic the rest of the way. At one time, he retired 16 straight, I think it was. 
But he's got the two pitches working. He didn't need his changeup a whole lot today, the third pitch. But he just, th these players know, and, and Teoscar said a post game there, that when he takes the mound, you know that when your starting pitcher is going to give you a chance to win, that's what you ask of him. But you get a lot more from Alec Manoa. I mean, you know you've not just have a chance to win, but you're probably going to win the game. A little crazy at the end there, and we discussed it a little bit in here. You know, Alec had that ground ball, and Chapman could have flipped it for the force out to get him out of there. He would not have given up an earned run today. But it was a bit of misplay by Chapman, but this is a guy that has been behind you mm -hmm. this season and big part of this Blue Jays defense and how fantastic it has been. And you know what, Tim? The first guy to the mound when Charlie was coming out there, guess who beat him there? The third baseman did. It was Matt Chapman. Yeah. First one to the mound to pat him on the behind there. Alec gave him a pat right back. And that's great to see these teammates have each other. And uh, we'd all love it if he yeah. had no earned runs today. And, was a leading candidate for the All-Star game in Cy Young, but I have a feeling he still might be. And you know if you tabulate up all the defensive runs saved at the end of the year for Matt Chapman, they will greatly outweigh the mistake sure. that was made in this ball game that led to those earned runs. And you could tell by the reaction of Manoa, and you can tell by his day-to-day -day comportment and his reaction inside the dugout whenever a teammate is out there is that it appears he's less concerned about personal statistics and perhaps ERA titles um, then he is about a collective victory for his ball club, which is wonderful to see. Without a doubt, and if you look at the numbers right now, he's still got them. He is still under two on the ERA and now has the lowest whip in Jays history through 30 starts. That's better than Roger Clemens. And I, I, a noticeable difference from his last start at home, Joe, where there is a big smile coming off the mound this time. Well, I think, too, when you mentioned that whip, Tim, and that's the walks plus hits per inning pitch. Yeah. And the reason he's so fantastic in that department is, number one, he's in the zone a lot. This is a guy that's in the zone a lot, so he's not going to give you too many free passes. You have to earn your way on. The problem is for hitters around the league, it's very hard to square him up, whether it's the fastball, a four-seamer, two-seamer that has good movement, or it's that wipeout slider. I mean, these are nasty, nasty pitches that hitters, especially right-handers, we know how devastating he is against right-handed hitters to square him up. So that's why you're not going to see a whole lot of traffic on the bases. And I think those numbers are going to continue to get better. He'll probably be on these leaderboards all season long with the stuff that he continues to feature. It's amazing how he continues to do it so young in his career here. Tim, Joe and I were having a whole lot of fun as the game drew to a conclusion and Manoa comes out for that eighth inning because his pitch count was <laughs> yeah. hovering in the early to mid 90s yeah. and we were thinking it'll get to a point where he either does or does not come out for the ninth <laughs> inning. So I said just wait for his entry into the dugout uh, just like the last time he started here when he confronted Charlie Montoyo and said there it is said I got to go out and finish this game and Montoya said no we got an all-star caliber closer who's going to take over for you and uh, we almost had a similar scenario it would have been it would have been great to have that same scenario but you know what I thought was critical today too is as these bats continue to heat up like they have been this team has started to hit and when the team yeah. starts to hit you start winning by more than one run <laughs> and you don't have all these relievers pitching in such high leverage Jordan Romano was hot he's working in the bullpen right underneath us here at the Rogers Center he was hot and ready to come into this game the Blue Jays add on some runs and now you don't need him those are big pluses yes he got hot yes he was ready to go but you don't have to bring him into the game to face big league hitters in a one run game and high leverage again 
That's a win because you may need him tomorrow night against the Minnesota Twins. Yeah, we were talking to Adam Simber about all those high leverage situations. And if it would be nice to come into a seven run game, he doesn't get that luxury, but you don't have to burn <laughs> Romano here. Bottom of the sixth inning, I thought was interesting as you talk about those bats warming. Vladdy double followed by a Teoscar bomb. Jamie, we haven't seen a ton of that this year, but if we start getting it, that could signal a real big change for this team. Well, you know what's interesting about uh, Teoscar and his performance in this series is that there was a time when he came off the I.L. where you could tell visually, Joe, Not especially with your experience uh, in the major leagues, that he was late and he was not in rhythm. And now you're seeing a series in which he went six for 12 with a home run, four doubles and a single. And the Blue Jays, we talked about at the outset, all the runs they're scoring, they're essentially doing it, Joe, without Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who is at bat to at bat, it seems, either scuffling or not scuffling, depending on who's the mound on the occasion. Yeah, he, he's certainly still fighting it. And when Vladdy finds it, we're all going to know about it. And it's interesting when you're so good, when you're, when you're Vladimir Guerrero Jr., you can be not at your best and you're still... Very, very good. But really, yeah, they hadn't gotten a lot at all from Teoscar now that he's back. And that home run you speak of, Tim, I think not only do these hitters find their, their sink and timing at the plate, but I thought in that situation it was a classic, not just a very talented player in Teoscar, but these guys are very smart too. And Johnny Cueto, if you notice, he went to his changeup a lot today against Blue Jays hitters. We've seen opposing pitchers do that, mm -hmm. especially against the right-hand hitting lineup. He was going to his changeup quite a bit today. The Oscar hit an 0-0 changeup out of the park. So I think he may have gone up there looking for it. Joe, let's bats go in here. Do, do we need to talk about Santiago Espinal? We should. We should yeah. talk about all of them right now. Yeah. <laughs> he just continues to do it. You know, I thought last year and the last couple of years, the way he was kind of that part-time player, I thought this, this guy's a nice piece. This guy could be a piece moving forward. But I don't think any of us envisioned him, say, being the everyday second baseman and he's continued to do it you, you, he's he's sat a couple games now that Biggio's back and that's okay too because Kevin can contribute but then he gets in there whether it's as a pinch hitter coming in later in the game but yeah and, and big times too like that's a big hit to add on a couple yeah. runs late like this as we said that those are the cushions that we have not seen this offense providing to their pitching staff so everybody's all smiles right now you could talk about Espinal you could talk about Alejandro Kirk yeah. through this win streak through the win streak, Kirk's hitting 480 uh, to nobody's surprise. You can talk about the other guy who squats behind home plate, Danny Jansen, who every other day seems to come up with a huge home run. And maybe that's why the struggles that Vladdy's in, uh, encountering right now aren't as magnified because everybody else seems to be picking him up. Well, it was almost lineup wide when this team was struggling offensively, and we're certainly not accustomed to seeing this lineup struggling lineup wide but I always say your best players have to be your best players and I'm referring to the guys at the top in Springer and Bo and Vladi and Teoscar they have to be very good for this team to succeed offensively but at times when they're down and they're going to have their little struggles too that's when you hope that the other guys can kind of pick them up a bit but it seems as though this team's all kind of starting to hit their stride at the same time and that's a very good sign. Uh, gentlemen, Jays catchers now batting 280 on the season, lead the major leagues in both slugging and OPS as a group. It has been an unbelievable performance from them and an unbelievable performance from you, gentlemen. Jamie, love seeing the broom fly. Appreciate you hanging around and doing this with us. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. All right, Tim. There is uh, Jamie and Joe. Wouldn't be a post game without him. And something about that place, Kevin Mickey. The Jays now over the last two seasons, of course, last year kind of COVID-y. 
42 and 19 at the Rogers Center combined over the last two years. So there's something about that ball yard right now. I know we sent out a question to folks after 50 games. Jay's now 30 and 20 after those 50, trying to feel what people were saying about this record. It's the fifth time in franchise history that the Jays have 30 wins in their first 50 games. First since 1992. Nice. What happened that year? That is, something happened that yeah, year, yeah. Uh, we asked the masses uh, at the 50-game mark, how you feeling? And are you feeling different than eight games ago? We wanted you to let us know. Now, I like this response because there is a lot of talk <laughs> of... There is a lot of talk of pushing the panic button. Yeah. In how fact... People made us push that panic button. They did. Do you know what the record is since that panic button was pushed? I'm going to say 8 and 0. Oh. <laughs> I think I'm right. So perfect my, eight and oh. my small trophy says he's not reaching for the panic button. <laughs> no. Not yet anyway. Uh, I, th- oh. I thought these two responses were interesting. One from uh, Keneal here. He says I'm giving them a B plus so, f- so far in the season, which is a pretty good mark. I mean, if I would got B pluses in high school, I'd be thrilled all the way through. Yeah. They're seven games back, the Yanks, or no, ish not. right now. They're a little <laughs> yeah. less than that. Yeah. He gives just ballparking. And then Jay actually also gave a B plus. Lots of season lefts, says Jay. Pitching and D have been huge. Now the bats are heating up. I think that there's the common response amongst lots of Jays fans. It's cautious optimism following this eight-game winning streak, 50 games in. We still got a lot to go. Uh, they are five back of the Yankees, who, of course, won today. They beat the Angels, and Shohei Otani jumped all over Otani. 6-1 was the final in that one. They'll play the second half of a double dip a little later on. For those who haven't figured it out, Kevin Mickey is in for Jesse Rubinoff. He will continue with me as we do a little post-game to pre-game. That's right, kids, still to come. More Blue Jays talk. Blake Murphy. Coming up next, plus former Jay, Russell Martin will join after officially announcing his retirement. Plus, Gene Principe, Nabil Kareem from Denver ahead of Game 2, Oilers and Abs. As you get a little bonus, Tim and friends, till 7.30 Eastern ahead of Hockey Central. We continue with more Jays next. Gotta like your chances when the big fellas taking the mound. There go the runners in the three-two. He got him. That's what makes him, I think, so special. He brings that fire when he's on the mound. Teoscar Hernandez, fly ball, left field, deep and gone. And it's now four to nothing. Starting to see more smiles. The good times keep on rolling for the Blue Jays as they beat the White Sox again, sweep the series, and extend their winning streak to eight. Eight in a row for the Toronto Blue Jays as they sweep another series. Now 30 and 20 on the season. Here's Charlie Montoyo on the bats, warming a wee bit. I don't know when I, I said uh, this, but uh, I said whenever we start swinging the bats, I think we're going to have a chance to win games in a row. Before that, we were winning two out of three and we were hanging in there because we were not swinging. So it's tough to be people by one run all the time. So I said, the moment we start swinging the bats and we keep pitching and catching the ball like we did, we could win some games in a row. And that's what we're doing right now. Pitching is still doing their job. We're catching the ball and now we're swinging the, the bats. Like, what, 56 runs in the last, whatever, eight games? So that's, that's great to watch. Brand spanking new host of Jay's Talk Plus, Blake Murphy, joining me in studio. Blake, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me on. Uh, some of those bats that are warming, Alejandro Kirk, one of them, two Ooh. for three, now batting over 300 
on the season. I know you did a deep dive into the Jays catching situation. Let's put that on the side for a second. Alejandro Kirk is proving that he's a pretty damn good professional hitter, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. And this was the the thing that gave you optimism during his kind of cold April. I know he didn't strike out for the month or whatever. He also didn't have an extra base hit. Um, but the thing that kept you optimistic was the approach at the plate. There's no wasted play appearances. He has a plan up there. Um, you know, he has an ability to get to high inside stuff that you wouldn't expect from someone with his build uh, and generally what we see from, from swings from that player type. So you had the optimism it would come around and now everything's just clicking. Like he's an OBP machine and if he can add even a little bit of power through the middle of that order, uh, it's huge. And then you got Danny Jansen down the lineup uh, who's, you know, more home runs than any catcher so yeah. far. Yeah. Adding some of that power. So, yeah. so there is the depth there. And let's talk that deep dive. Now, some folks have suggested on Blue Jays Twitter and beyond that they deal from the position of power. What's your view on having those two and then I guess you'd add Gabby Moreno in the system. Yeah, I had Keith Law on Jays Talk Plus this week, and we talked about Moreno a little bit. And part of what he said is, look, this guy's, first of all, very young for the AAA level, and he's missed time. He missed time pre-pandemic due to some injuries. He missed, as every prospect did, time during the pandemic. So he's still very fresh for a AAA guy, and he doesn't hit for a ton of power yet. Maybe that doesn't come anyway, but it's not the worst thing in the world for him to get more development time right. at AAA. Whereas if you call him up, maybe he's only playing three, four days a week, and, and that's not as good for his development bigger picture the scarcity thing works both ways right where you don't want to turn that position of strength into a position of weakness but there are 29 other teams around the league who would love to have Alejandro Kirk or Danny Jansen or Gabby Moreno so you you know I don't think any of those guys moves in a deal that upgrades your bullpen or something like that mm -hmm. but if you start aiming higher that middle to top of the order lefty bat that we've talked about for months they probably need that's where you probably have no choice but to start putting one of those guys in the, into a deal. Here's the interesting part of this, and, and I didn't have time because post-game and live TV and this how it works. I didn't have time to figure out what the Texas catchers did today. But going into today, Jays catching was second in the majors in batting average. They've moved that up to now 280. Texas was 285 heading into the game. They lead the, the, the league in OPS and slugging as a group. When you get that kind of production from your catcher spot, that's valuable, isn't it? It's huge, and obviously that's a premium defensive position, and that's what we think about first with that position. Correct. But when you look at what's happened with the Jays this year, where they're nine games over 500, and yes, some of that is one-run game performance yeah, in the bullpen. Some of it is the starters being really good, but how do you function as an offense when Vlad's having a bit of a down year, Teoscar's having a bit of a down year, Gurriel's having a bit of a down year? Well, you need guys to come through in those other spots, and the combo of Kirk and Jansen are not just hitting well for catchers. They're about 25% above average for any player at the plate so far this year. So getting that extra production there, it kind of stems the tide until those other bats get going, which it looks like they're starting to. For those who don't know Blake that much, he's a bit of an ambidextrous pitcher here. He's a little Pat Venditti, if you will. <laughs> but he's focused on the Raptors before, now focusing on the Jays. And there is an idea towards analytics. There is an idea towards comparing numbers. There is an idea. So if you're tuning into Jays Talk Plus, you're going to get that from Blake Murphy and that's where I find that interesting dilemma when it comes to the Jays catchers is are you getting enough wins over replacement from the platoon there like we might even get to a point where Alejandro Kirk is your DH and this is what makes it really complicated if you didn't have 
a couple days a week penciled in for George Springer or Vladimir Guerrero Jr. DH days, right. you could work that more capably. You could even say, hey, you could carry three catchers and get them all in enough. Right. But even if Springer and Vlad are playing no DH days, you got 12 starting spots a week for the <laughs> right. for catcher and DH. So right. you don't you don't have enough room for three guys to play regularly. Um, you know, this is one where the analytics, I think, back up what we're seeing. Kirk's improved a lot as a pitch framer. Mm-hmm. And behind the plate, Jansen's defense has had a better reputation for a while. But you're seeing him sting the ball when he takes it to his pull side over and over. So, you know, this is part of the idea of the show is marrying what you're seeing down at the park. Like, I'm, I'm sitting a couple rows up from third last time. I'm like, wow, Matt Chapman really makes everything look easy. You don't need numbers to see what Matt Chapman's doing. But if you want them, they're yeah. there. Yeah, he had a bit of a blip today. But uh, I think the defensive run saved over the year will probably calculate be all right. pretty good. Yeah. Uh, all right, so it's not all rainbows and unicorns. There was a move today, Hyunjin Ryu, placed on the 15-day IL with forearm inflammation, reportedly woke up a little more soreness in that left pitching arm. What does this do for the Jays as they have uh, selected Jeremy Beasley? Yeah, so Beasley's coming up just to be an extra bullpen arm. Stripling's going to move into Ryu's rotation spot. Uh, he will have a soft landing spot. He won't pitch until Monday against Kansas City, who are one of the worst offenses in baseball, the way things line up. I would imagine they try to get Trent Thornton back on a schedule similar to Ross Stripling's so that if Stripling's going four, you know, you have Thornton for the two coming in after him or something like that um, because you're not – you're probably not getting six innings out of Ross Stripling. Uh, Longer term, they do have an off day after that Royal Series, but then they play 13 days in a row. They're going to have a decision to make. You know, we've we've seen them try to get an extra day off for guys. Do you call someone up from AAA to to get an extra day off for guys in there? Do you just roll with Stripling? The hard part is there's not a lot of pitching depth at AAA right now. Most of the guys you'd tab as the guys coming up are struggling. Um, You know, whether that's uh, Nick Allgaier or or Thomas Hatch or whoever, take your pick. Um, And Nate Pearson is far away still from earning his way back to a bullpen role, let alone a starting role. Uh, You see those next four series for the Blue Jays. Uh, Last Tuesday, we asked the audience if we needed to hit the panic button. 62% of them said we needed to hit the panic button. They are 8-0 since that (laughs) panic button was hit. Uh, and they've got a shorthanded Twins team coming to town mm-hmm. who have been hit by the COVID protocols here in Canada, not being able to cross the border. Sonny Gray goes to the IL, and then it's Royals, Tigers, and Orioles. Oh, my. Blake, appreciate you dropping by. Thanks for having I me, I think man. those numbers may go up even more. Careful, though, because the Pirates keep beating up the Dodgers, <laughs> so you never know what's going to happen. I think it was a sweep at 5 of 6 on the year for the Pirates. Uh, Speaking of Pirates and Dodgers. Atta boy, the segue right there from Blake Murphy. Pirates and Dodgers, two of the teams Russell Martin played for in the pros. He will join us next to discuss his career and maybe a drink or two next. a native Canadian and he's a winner. Wherever he goes, winds seem to follow. Now Martin sends one into deep left field. That is up and that one is gone. Russell Martin goes deep.
Ah, the hair is raising again. This is normally when we hit last call here on Tim and Friends. But today, we're taking until 7.30 Eastern, 5.30 in Alberta when Ron McLean and the crew take over for Game 2 of the Western Conference Final, Oils and Az. But perhaps last call would be more fitting for our next guest who is launching a brand spanking new hard seltzer. That's right, kids. Cruz Seltzer. And oh yeah, just officially announced his retirement from Major League Baseball. Please help me in welcoming Canadian baseball legend Russell Martin back to Tim and Friends. What's going on, Russ? How are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Uh, we're doing real well here. I I'm going to be honest. Retirement Good. and a new hard seltzer seem to go hand in hand, Russell. It goes down smooth. It goes down smooth. I'm not gonna. I'm, I'm gonna take a sip right now. Uh, there is the cruise hard seltzer. Oh yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Uh, is this like a, a backyard <laughs> golf type refresh? I know. Listen, when baseball's over, I hear that you swing the club every once in a while. Is that is that what this is about? Marrying the two. It's it's exactly what it's for. Uh, it, 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 on the golf course, there there's not, not nothing better than a nice seltzer. Um, easy to drink, um, and I've been swimming the golf club a lot lately, so um, yeah, they've been going down smooth. <laughs> what made you want to do the seltzer thing? Like, what made you want to get involved in something like this? Uh, I mean, to be honest, it's just the pandemic. The pandemic hit, and we're, we're sitting at home, not much to do. Wish we could go on vacation, can't go on vacation, and I'm um, just sitting with buddies, and, and we're, we're we're thinking about like what can we do that's going to make us feel like we're on vacation? And we just came up with the idea of coming up with a seltzer and, and a couple years later, the, the products here and, and on the shelves in the LCBO and SAQ in, in Quebec. And it's pretty much that simple. Just the, the pandemic led me to drinking more and, and led me to, uh, to start my own, my own seltzer beverage. Right. A, a lot of us in a similar situation. So let's talk about what we saw uh, on Instagram over the last little while. And that was the official retirement. I know you haven't played in a while, but was it hard to make the official retirement call? Um, it wasn't that hard because it, it had been a couple years, and and I really hadn't I haven't done much baseball at all in the last couple of years. So uh, I just took my time. I, I gave myself some time because I still felt like my my body was still capable if if I got the itch at some point right and uh the itch like you know i just never got that feeling that those, those butterflies that you need to to get it back going again and uh it, it was just time to to make a decision and just you know thank the fans and everybody who played a part in my career and uh and and so here i am now and and it's official and and i feel good about it what do you think you'll miss the most uh that's just being around the guys in the, in the locker room right. uh you know just the, the, the bus rides, the, the, the plane rides, playing cards with the guys, um, the competition also, but, but mainly it's just everything that surrounds the guys in the clubhouse and the people that are there uh, and the relationships you, you make and, and all the people you know, that you're around for, for about eight, ten months a year. Um, that's probably what I'm going to miss the most. You saw a lot in your career. You played a lot of postseason ball, and we were playing some of the highlights, the classic highlights, hearing the French language calls. Um, is it easy to answer what your, your favorite memories of the game will be or because you played in so many postseason games, does that get tough? Um, well, I mean, postseason is, is every postseason, you don't take it for granted. 
and, and there's good moments, there's bad moments. For me, there, there's, they all ended in bad moments because I never won a World Series, never even got to World Series. Uh, but it probably starts with like your first game, that, that's a moment that I'll never forget, uh, that, that first rookie year. Um, and then every, every time that we, you know, you battle your butt off through the whole season, the 162, and, and you make it to the postseason, and then each game in the postseason is, it feels like a season in its own. Um, and, and, and I was fortunate enough to, to have, you know, quite a few games, um, but it's just so electric and, and, and that's what you play for. That's what you imagine when, what, what you're, uh, when you're a kid, you, you imagine, you know, game seven World Series, you know, three, two count bases loaded down by three kind of thing. And, and you know, I got a little taste of it uh, uh, throughout my career and um, I'm definitely fortunate for it. Okay, so we just showed the bat flip inning and saw you at home plate. What, what's the one thing that nobody talks about enough when it comes to that game, that inning, and all that went in and around it? Well, it was the, uh, the, the throwback to the pitcher that, that hit uh, Sin Chu's hand. Um, I kind of, it was just like the drama just started building from there. Uh, you know, it's just one of those things that just being unlucky, you know, at the wrong time. Um, it's I've, I don't know how many balls I've thrown back to the pitcher in my career, but that that's the first time it's ever happened that I've I've hit somebody, uh, and the guy just so Sinchu just kind of like extends his hand and, and and just stretching. I think he was wearing an elbow guard at the time or whatnot, and he was just like fixing it, and. Um, and next thing you know, the fans are, are going crazy. They don't understand what's going on. The umpires get together. They don't know whether it's a, the run is good or not. And it just creates this, this just feeling of like uncertainty. And then they say that the run's good and people get pissed off and they start yeah. throwing beer cans on the field. And then 20 minutes go by and they, all the beer cans get taken off. Um, and, and the run's good, we're, we're down a run, I feel like you know, I'm going to be remembered for one of the worst plays, you know, in the history of baseball. And uh, and then Jose Batista, the next half inning, has my back, hits, you know, the the the, the bat flip hurt around the world, and um, and then I'm pointing to the sky and I'm like, <laughs> I'm thanking the big guy up there that that <laughs> you know that uh, that Jose came through, man, because the the story could have been completely different if he doesn't do that. Uh, Jose free seltzer for life. I think. I think we know that Jose now gets free seltzer for life. For sure. <laughs> Cruise seltzer sure. on its way, Jose. <laughs> a couple of days ago in our morning meeting, uh, we kind of had a team fight slash argument on what you'd be better at: TV, radio, host, analyst, or manager. Have you <laughs> have you started contemplating the next move yet? Ah, uh, I. I mean, I'm already working with my my, uh, my agent. Um, I'm I'm a consultant for the uh, sports uh, Republic Sports, so I'm doing that a little bit. Oh, nice. Um, but as far as coaching goes, um, I think I'm going to wait a little bit. I'm going to wait for the kids to be in school and 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 them be a little bit more busy right. um, when they get started when the youngest. So I still have a few years. So I'm going to take some few years off, um, but I'm not. Uh, yeah, it's definitely something that I can picture myself doing. But for the moment, I'm going to enjoy my time on the golf course and, and spending time with my family and, and friends and all that stuff. Uh, that sounds like the good life, my friend. I can't wait to get there. Uh, great <laughs> catching up with you, my dude. Uh, anytime you want to come here and do the, the host analyst thing, uh, give us a shout. Uh, we got an open door. Thank you so much for doing this, Russell. And good luck with the enterprise here.
Thanks for having me, guys. Take care. There is Russell Martin and his cruise seltzer. Looked like uh, he was enjoying the cruise seltzer. Why in. not? Why wouldn't he? It's a beautiful day. A little golf. A little, a little cruise, cruise seltzer. seltzer. A little baseball. Yeah, yeah. Life's good. Time for a break. We'll shift our focus from baseball to hockey, though, as we go an extra half an hour. That's right. A bonus 30 minutes of Mickey and McAuliffe as Pavel Fransuz will get the start in net for the Avs tonight. Can the Oilers even up this series? We'll check in with Gene Principe at the ring next. Are you ready? It's showtime. Game one of the most anticipated conference final matchup in years. Kickstarter for the Oilers. Star, Hopper. The goals come 36 seconds apart. Here's McKinnon dashing in. Scores. Oh, there's a marquee goal. Scores. McCarr. Onside. They're going to have a good goal. Are they saying he doesn't have control of the puck? That's a bit of a shocker. Ryan McLeod gets one back. Shot, score! it Another fast reply. Score! Comfort! 6-3! Oh, and getting ready to enter. It's amazing, the twists and turns of playoff hockey, isn't it? Score! Nugent Hopkins! Oilers within one! Colorado celebrates a game one to 8-6 victory. A special extended version of Tim and Friends as we get you set for Game 2 Western Conference Final between the Oilers and the Avs. I'm Tim McAuliffe along with Kevin Mickey who's in for Jesse Rubinoff. We will have hashtag TF predict coming up in just a second as we're with you till 7.30 Eastern, 5.30 in Edmonton when Ron McLean takes over and gets you set. Oilers looking to bounce back tonight after dropping the opening game in their third straight series to open the postseason. But in game twos, they've been pretty damn good. 2-0, outscoring the Kings and Flames 11-3 in those game twos. Big question for both teams. Heading into tonight's game, with who would start and goal after Mike Smith was pulled in game one and Darcy Kemper left with the UBI. This morning, Jay Woodcroft confirmed, as we expected, Smith would be the Oilers starter. But Avs coach Jared Bednar announced Kemper out Pavel Fransuz will make his third start of the postseason. We have a lot of confidence in, in Frankie. I mean, he's played really well for us over the last few years. Um, stepping into the situation in the Nashville series, he did a great job for us. I mean, coming in the other night, he did a nice job for us. I mean, we, we're, we're completely confident that he can get the job done. All right, with more on tonight's game number two, we do it again. Let's send it to our man, Gene Principe, standing by in Denver. Ogino. Tim, the Edmonton Oilers in familiar territory. As for the third straight series, they've lost game one. Happened against L.A., Calgary, and then a couple of nights ago versus Colorado. For a second straight time, game one was a wide-open affair, which saw Mike Smith start against Calgary and Colorado, but not finish the games versus the Flames and the Avalanche. While head coach Jay Woodcroft was non-committal between games one and two, it is Smith that will be the starter in game two tonight against the Avalanche as the Oilers look to continue scoring like they did in game one, but solidifying things defensively against the Avalanche. I think he's a true pro in his approach to the game, the way he treats himself and and uh, re recovers and resets. And then, you know, someone once told me that they compared uh, him to an alley cat. 
Yeah, and he's a fighter, a scrapper, a clawer, not somebody uh, who's been gifted everything along the way. He's not a house cat. He's an alley cat. Well, I think the whole team was was less than ideal, so it's tough to, to say that uh, it was the goalie. I mean, we're giving up two and ones, and, you know, it's tough for, for any goalie to make those saves. Uh, um, so I think we all look to respond tonight and have a better game than we did last game. Making some better plays out of our end. I think I think there's a lot of times last game, especially in the first period where we had the puck, but we didn't make uh, very many good plays, and, and, and they created some turnovers against. And I think uh, if we can play a little bit more down there and have a little bit more puck possession uh, mindset uh, in their end, I think that will limit their possession and their transition game. Jay Woodcroft admitted that in period one of game one, it was the Avalanche that were pushing the pace more than the Oilers, but he felt like in periods two and three, things evened out. When asked how to handle Colorado's offense, he said the best way to put them on hold was for the Oilers to have the puck in Colorado's end of the ice. As for Duncan Keith, who was really brought to Edmonton for situations like this because of his uh, wonderful resume, he said he's having a fantastic time with the Edmonton Oilers and likes the fact that he now has a nine-year-old son in Colton and the two of them can talk hockey. Keith said despite his previous success in the Stanley Cup playoffs, he's having a great experience with Edmonton, Tim, and I'm sure the experience would be even a little bit better if the Oilers can even up this series against the Avalanche at one win apiece tonight. Thank you very much, Gene. You wonder if they've done it one too many times. All right, let's get back ringside at Hito Turkaloo's favorite sporting venue, Ball Arena in Denver, and join the ringside reporter for TNT's side of the Western Conference Final and a dude that Canadian sports fans know real well. Nabil Kareem, welcome back to Tim and Friends. Yo, thanks for having me back. I am freezing here, by the way, dude. Like, <laughs> a little chilly I came off there? that Florida series where the rinks were nice. Dude, it's so cool. That, see, this is the problem. I should be more of a veteran reporter. No, I got to put, you know, those like warming packs in my shoe, in my pocket. I didn't do any of that stuff. I am freezing, dude. Uh, I might shiver through this interview, but we're going to get it done. You've, yeah. you've already lost your Canadian uh, your Canadian ID here because if you're cold ringside. I was soft to begin with. No, I was <laughs> I know, soft to begin with. Never changed. All right. Uh, so, so what in your mind does the Francouz call do to game two? Well, it gives the Oilers a great chance, right? Uh, I, I mean, Darcy Kemper has been playing well. Was he great last game? Not really. Uh, Francois, they have a lot of confidence in him, uh, and, and that's what you heard with Jared Bednar was saying. I talked to Devon Taves today, and he said, listen, Frankie down the stretch for us was outstanding, especially in the second half of the season. He had to come in in some moments, and then you go back to that Nashville series that Bednar was talking about. Uh, he had to play well. So they have a lot of confidence in him. You know, you hear this about the backup goaltender all the time. He's a great guy. We want to play for him. So there's that aspect to it. But he said, listen, this guy's a big goaltender. For us, the key is to get that traffic out of the way, right? Let him see the shots because if he can see them, he can stop them. But if I'm Connor McDavid, if I'm Leon Draisaitl, Evander Kane, and all those guys over there, I'm feeling a lot better about having Francois in that and just the, the – the scene that we're in right now, right? You're putting him in a tough situation. Yeah. yeah, he's got a little bit of time to think about it to start the game. But still, it's a really tough situation as a backup goaltender. So I'm probably feeling a lot better as an Edmonton Oiler uh, coming into this contest. Uh, obviously, one of the talking points for game two will be how the Oilers have been able to bounce back from losses in game one in each of the first two series. It's something the Avs obviously know. Um, they got the winning game one, but, but how concerned are the Avs about the amount of offense the a the Oilers were able to generate in game one and I guess now with their backup goalie in for game two. 
yeah, they'd probably be concerned. You know what's weird? So after game one, it won't go to the pressers, and it, it felt like the Avalanche had lost the game. They were so somber in, in the way they answered their questions and like, yeah, we, we got the win. But it, they went back to all the defensive mistakes that they made and the breakdowns that they had. So I think there's going to be a real concerted effort in this game to, to shut that down because they know, hey, we can score our goals. And now you know your backup goaltender is in there, so you got to play a little bit harder. As you know, teams usually do that, right, for their backup goaltender. And then think about this, though. Do you? I didn't even know the name Yusis Ananen before this, yeah. but he's their third goaltender. The guy has played two games in the NHL, started one, came in relief for another. So they don't want to get to that situation where McDavid and co. Uh, take advantage of Francois because he's going to have to play a lot, obviously. They don't want to bring Ananen in. Um, but they're in a situation that's a lot tougher. And so I think, yeah, defensively, that's what they've been saying. We got to be better because they know there's so much firepower on that side. Jay Woodcroft even said it. Dude, we scored six goals, right? Gave up eight, but we scored six goals. So that's a positive right there that they know that they can, you know, get goals in this building. Ananen's so new that I just learned from Nabil Kareem that his name wasn't Justice, but Eustace Ananen. It is not. <laughs> it is not. And you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm texting the PR guys during the game, and I'm like, you got to tell me. And then I actually called her. I was like, hey, listen, Danielle, you've got to – how do I pronounce this guy's name in case he has to come into this game in game one? I was so worried, right, because yeah. i got to do the report. Yeah. Uh, Eustace is the way we're going. Awesome. And is the way we're going for the last year. It's not yeah. as if Jay Woodcroft is going to answer this question, but in those uh, early morning availabilities today, did anyone talk to him given the way Cal McCarr – and Devin Tate honestly dominated the matchup against Drysaddle and McDavid that Woodcroft and the Oilers might go away from having those two stay on the same line? I think he would disagree with you. So what he was saying was that those guys still ended up with five points. So you want to say that they didn't have a great game, fine. And they, by their standards and their high standards, yeah, they probably didn't. But they still got five points. However, Devon Taves and Kale McCarr, they, you were right. They were fantastic against that line, right? Um, and I was talking about, I was talking to Devon Taves about that partnership between him and McCarr and, and what they're trying to do against Drysdale and McDavid. Now, he wouldn't give me the blueprint, obviously, but the one interesting thing I thought was he said, listen, we got, we know what we got to do on the back end, and we've been communicating that with the forwards. And he said, basically, we don't want McDavid and Drysdale loading up coming in with speed right we want to keep them to the outside and from the back end we got our structure here but I would think at some point you're right like if this is not working out and if dry saddles healthy enough you slot him back at center right because you, then you got McDavid you got dry up and then Nugent Hopkins down the middle and that makes you stronger in that sense but that line was so dominant in the last series it's hard to break it up right yeah. you still want to kind of go with it and say our guys are that good that they're better than your defenseman, you know? Yeah, just to back up, and I, and I do know that they had the five points. Uh, when all four were on the ice, five on five shots were 12-3 abs, which kind of jaw-dropped me. Yeah. And then the rush chances were 4 nothing abs. But you're right here. This is They were putting up legendary numbers through two series. It would yeah. be hard to break up, but maybe something if you start to see uh, a little bit of it shifting towards McCarr and Taves again, that maybe you you could even throw yep. Drysaddle on a line with Nuge and Hopkins and let Nuge play center yep. and Drysaddle play the wing with Nuge and then you got to pick your poison on Nuge and Drysaddle versus McDavid. It is uh, the the beauty of this series, Nabil, is everything that we wanted to see from it we saw in Game One and I don't even know how you turn away from all that speed and skill on the ice like. 
it, even if both coaches said we wanted to play a 2-1 game here in game two, do you think it's even possible? Can't. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, no way. Yeah. Like, I think the, te the teams are going to want to buckle it down defensively for sure. You know, after the game, I, I interviewed Kale McCarr. And I thought he would be super happy. You know, he had, well, we thought four points. It took away a point from us. He had three points. And the first thing he said to me was, because I said, oh, that, it felt like a throwback game. It was so fun to watch. What was it like to play? And, you know, I just I thought you might get a real good answer out of him, something different. Uh, and he's like, that's not playoff hockey. And he was pretty serious. He's like, right. that's not playoff hockey. And so I think even if they try to dial it back, there's just so much talent on the ice here that we're still probably going to get a 4-3, you know, 5-4 type game. And now you throw the wrench in with the goalie. We're talking about Francois. What about Mike Smith? I know he's had great uh, bounce back games in the playoffs, yep. but you never know. They haven't faced a team like this so far. I mean, the Avalanche came in waves, right, last game. And Ryan Nugent Hopkins actually mentioned that. He said, listen, they're coming in in waves. They're scoring in bunches. We got to figure out a way. We're going to probably give up some goals. I mean, that's, I mean, that's not rocket science, right? They're going to give up some goals, but we can't give them up in bunches, right? Because that really kills the momentum, and it's so hard to play from behind. Even though these Oilers are incredible when they're down, they just seem like they're never out of it, right? Uh, I'll get the uh, I'll get the arena address. Just logging on to Amazon, looking up hot shots that I can send to uh, to Nabil Kareem. <laughs> Thanks for doing this, help me. Freezing, dude. Freezing, dude. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, there is an old friend, Nabil Kareem. He is working for TNT on this broadcast for tonight. Game two coming your way in about 15 minutes pregame with Ron McLean and the Hockey Central crew. That's right, kids. They are taking over less than 15 minutes from now. Gene Principe working hard for us at the rink. Earlier today, he caught up with Oilers defenseman Evan Bouchard. Evan, it was uh, such a wild uh, game one when you kind of looked at it maybe the next day and heading into game two uh, what were some of the things you liked most about the way your team played uh i think the way we battled back we fought back all game long um you know giving up eight isn't uh, isn't going to cut it in the western conference finals so we got things to tighten up but uh, the battle back from our team was good so the bad news is you've lost the opener in every series the good news is you've always battled back so that, does that kind of help you feel even more uh comfortable and confident heading into game two uh, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, in the playoff series, you kind of got to forget about uh, what game just happened, whether it's a win or a loss. You got to just bounce back, be ready to play next one. And uh, I think it's going to be a good one for us today. This uh, team and the opposing team are full of talented players like you. Um, what do you think you have to do maybe a little bit better defensively to try and hold off some of their top offensive stars? Uh, I think we got to slow them down early. Um, you know, they're a fast team. The more uh, time they have coming through the neutral zone, the tougher it makes it on uh, Everyone, so if we slow them down early, playing uh, their end, you know, good defense, a great offense, so uh, that'd be good for us. I know you've often spoken of Duncan Keith and how he's helped uh, you in your career, and I wonder how he helps maybe everybody during situations like this because of his previous experience. Yeah, he's been through it all, whether it's been uh, down in series, up in series, how to play, and uh, you know, he's a real leader in there. Everyone respects him. Everyone uh, listens to him. So when he talks, everyone listens, and uh, you know, I think it's good having someone like that who's done it all and been through it all. Evan, thank you, and uh, good luck in game two. Thanks, Gene. Great stuff, as always, from Gene Principe in the ring. Time for one final break. We'll continue to get you set for the Oilers and the Avs. Last call style. Mickey's in for Rubinoff, and we'll do that next right here as Tim and Friends get you set for game two. Game two, Western Conference Final coming your way in moments. And just like everyone expected, it's Pavel Fransuz. 
and Mike Smith. Oilers fans, before you get too excited, he is undefeated in the playoffs. He won two in round one against the Predators when Darcy Kemper went down with an eye injury and, of course, got the winning game one on Tuesday. The man they call Frankie made 18 saves on 21 shots in relief of Kemper. And while the wins and losses are impressive, the other numbers suggest perhaps there is an advantage to the Oilers. After going 15-5-1 in the regular season, with a 2-5-5 goals against average and a 9-16 save percentages, though that number, or those numbers, in the playoffs, 3.59 and an 8.89 save percentage. Eustace Ananen will back up. 22-year-old has two games of experience in the NHL and obviously zero in the playoffs. As I mentioned earlier, Jesse Rubinoff is off on a golf vacation. Maybe you can meet up with Russell Martin, Kevin Mickey in his stead, and Kevin, we're giving stuff away to start. Aren't we always? We're just the show that keeps on giving. Yes, sir. Always. Now, there is a sweater, and hang on a second. Let's just take a quick peek over there. Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful, isn't it? There's Tim holding it. And if there's you want to win this, it. there's Tim holding it, and there's Tim holding it. That's actually a live photo that we just showed you. Live, yeah, okay, that's live. Uh, if you want to win that hoodie, hashtag TF Predict, at Tim and Friends, predict the score of game two and give us the winner. I'm gonna show you an example. Here's Pink Panther. Oh. I'm going to tame it down a bit. 7-6 overtime Colorado. <laughs> now you have to take note of one thing here. Yes. He did not include hashtag TF Predict. Oh, However, then you go down a little bit. Yeah. There we go. Pink Panther corrects himself. Hashtag Diafredic, 7-6 overtime Colorado. That's fun. That's a high-scoring game. Yes, it is. Don't do what Blake has done. 2-1 Avs. No hashtag, Blake. We can't give you the sweater without the hashtag. Also, not a fun hockey game. Did you know that I corrected someone earlier in the TF Predict? I did see that, yes. And they won? 5-4 overtime, and too. It, that's, it, that's more reason to always include it. You Make have sure, to. Make sure, kids. Hashtag TF Predict. You have to include it. That's uh, how our digital group can find it, because they just tag yeah. the hashtag. Got it good and since you understood. It's very easy. Just do it, okay? Last <laughs> night, it was the Rangers stunning the Tampa Bay Lightning with a 6-2 win in Game 1 of the Eastern Conference Final. The six goals allowed by Andre Vasilevsky, that matches his career worst in a playoff game. Igor Shosturkin on the other side. At least off 35 or 37 shots. Tim, are yes. you on the rust or rust I thought side it was of rust all, versus rust? I thought it was all horse bleep, to be honest with you, <laughs> going into the game. And lo and behold, especially with a team that is a two-time defending cup champion, I thought Tampa would be ready for that game. And they didn't start terribly. Shesterkin played really well. But here we have this number that I brought up yesterday with Elliot Friedman sitting here that I stole from Justin Bourne. Past seven times, a rested team coming off a playoff sweep has met a team coming off a seven-game series. The mm -hmm. team fresh off the seven-gamer has won. Dun, dun, dun. Does it look like it's going to continue? I think it's one game, and we'll figure out the rest. We're going to try and continue to figure out what's going on in the Oilers Avalanche series. Okay. Uh, game one, extremely try my best. interesting. Uh, game one between the Oilers and Avs was tied for the second highest scoring conference final game in NHL history. The highest scoring game was game five of the 85 Campbell Conference final, uh, a simple 10 5 hockey game. Wayne Gretzky, four points in that game, but even the great one, he says, give me more defense. 
I wish I could have played this kind of playoff hockey in my day. I mean, teams are just two on ones, three on twos all over the ice, breakaways, breakdowns. You, listen, I was the most offensive player maybe to ever live. You got to play defense, man. That's how you win Stanley Cups. <laughs> like a seven three, and like where are you trying to go to make a four on two? Like. I, I just really believe deep down you, to win the Stanley Cup, you got to play better defense. Wainer? What? Defense? Timmy, what? Well, it's kind of obvious, isn't it? I mean, I guess, but he's the most offensive player in history. Oh, you know? I know that, but he's talking like, he's talking about winning net. Like, you eventually have to stop the other team. Like, the legend of Grant Fuhrer was he didn't allow the next goal. Like, you do have... Even Wayne Gretzky, who, and let's go back to that board, because I want to remind you the highest scoring okay. conference games in the conference finals. Look at the 85, Chicago of, and Edmonton are there three times. Gretzky was, yeah, they're there three times. So Gretzky knows of what he speaks. Yes, Wayner knows you've got to play some defense in this series, though, might mean a 4-3 hockey game because there's that much talent on the ice. Uh, the over-under for tonight set at 7.5. Do you have a T hashtag TF predict for the masses? I'm going yeah. go to go with 6-5 for the Edmonton Oilers. You think it'll be an 11-goal game? Hashtag TF predict. I I'm with you on that. Yeah? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think it's good. Listen, going into that first game, I suggested to more than a few people on this show that if you were the type, and please always play responsibly, yep. uh, maybe the over was the way to go. And it certainly was. <laughs> Mid, not even midway it, through the second. It, it worked out real well for a yeah. lot of people. There's not a lot of sweat in there. Uh, I think it might go over, even though they've raised the number to seven and a half. Mm -hmm. I like the over. One. Yep. Uh, that's about it for us. Want to thank Kevin Mickey, Russell Martin, Nabil Kareem, Blake Murphy, as well as Jamie and Joe from the Jays post game to the Oilers pregame. This has been fun. But we are finally set. Game number two. Oilers and Avs coming your way right here on Sportsnet. You know, some say you can't tell how much character a team has until they start losing. Well, Oil Country already knows this team has some intestinal fortitude. Edmonton has lost all three game ones. And in the first two series of the playoffs, they bounce back. Not only to win game two, but the series to make history repeat itself. However, the oil will have to slow down the highest scoring team in the postseason and the top team in the Western Conference. And they'll have to do that all on the road. McKinnon, McDavid, McCarr. Oh, my. There's so much talent on the ice for this game tonight. I'm excited for it. And if game two is anywhere close, so what we saw in game number one, we are in for a treat. Ron McLean and the Hockey Central crew are standing by the NHL and Sportsnet Studios. It is game two, Western Conference Final. Enjoy the game, everyone. We'll be back to break it down tomorrow at 5 Eastern, 3 local in Alberta. Mr. McLean, floor yours.